0: Welcome to the Zurich Risk Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Snyder, Head of Distribution for Zurich Resilient Solutions in Canada. ZRS Canada has a team of over 25 risk control professionals from coast to coast. Our mission on these podcasts is to discuss a range of commercial insurance engineering topics, generally technical in nature, that break down the information barriers between our insurance customers, brokers, and Zurich Risk Engineering Risk Control. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Amar Raman and Matt Rocha from Zurich's Climate Change Resilient Services team. Our conversation will focus around the topics of climate change and sustainability, and how the CCRS team, as part of the Zurich Resilient Solutions Group, can provide insights and guidance to our broker partners and customers, helping protect their assets and business continuity. Amar studied civil engineering and has been with Zurich for more than 11 years. Amara leads the Global Climate Change Resilient Services team with over 12 years with Zurich Risk Services. Matt, more specifically, has gravitated towards working in the risk area of natural hazards. He recently became the North American lead for our Climate Change Resilient Services, as well as helping to lead the Global Natural Hazards Technical Center. Here's our conversation. Amara, Matt, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to join us on today's podcast. So Omar, uh, for our customers and brokers who may not uh, know about our climate change resilient services, can you take a a bit of a minute to describe um, why the team was developed and what you see as being one of the key benefits for our customers or broker partners from a global perspective? Uh, And then maybe, Matt, you can uh, sort of put that in context for the North American market and if there's anything that might differentiate Canada and the United States from a focal point of the CRS team.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for the invitation. Our service was developed in 2011, actually, in response to the Thai floods in that year. One of our customers wanted support in uh, improving the resilience of their locations globally. they had been impacted by that event. So, since two thousand and eleven, we've been expanding our services, developing new types of of analyses and, uh, and and resilient solutions to meet customer demand. Interesting, Matt.
2: Yeah, ultimately in in North America, it it doesn't really change. Um, what we're doing and what we're offering is is really based on the customer's exposures and and what they're what they're looking to gain. You know, ultimately the the perils. Don't really differ. They may be greater in some areas. Obviously, hurricane in the southeast, uh, southeastern United States, and, and, and wildfire up in the the, the northwest. You know, um, the the perils aren't the same. It's just the regions and and the customers um, what they what they're requiring for what they would like. I, I guess is better.
0: So when we're thinking of the climate change resilient services and and sort of how this you know came to be um, more coordinated and organized over the last year or two has it been focused on sort of a global approach or it's been focused on you know their services but let's make sure that we're regional specific since we have different regions that experience different types of exposures to natural hazards uh climate exposure uh severity frequency
1: well as Matt mentioned we are we customize our analysis to meet the customer demand so or or tailor it to to whatever uh, problem the customer is facing our basic approach is the same no matter where we're doing the assessment we identify the risk we assess the risk and we develop solutions around it that meet the customer's needs budget and time frame so in that sense um it doesn't matter where we are in the world or what type of operations the customer has, or what type of data that they have. We work with the data we have, where the customer is, to solve the problems that they have. Whether it's in the shorter time frame, say for the next five years, or when we're looking at climate change effects and strategic issues, it's it's longer time frames.
0: All right. So very, very much a a regional specific type of or a customizable approach. Um, but those in regions where you might be more susceptible to different types of natural hazard exposures, it's easy to adjust the, the perception of the engineer on site for that particular location. It's not just a blanket type of assessment, we'll say, uh, across the board in the sense that our, our customers will be able to see something very unique and specific to their location or their locations but can be brought together in an account analysis, drawing out the good, the, the, uh, the exposed for their global operations.
2: Yeah, this is um, just like Amar said, when we're looking at the identification, that's the multi-location of the overall portfolio analysis where we're, we're identifying potential locations that may be of interest to the client. And then we work with them to establish maybe a site level assessment plan where we're really going to drill down into the overall exposure, you know, uh, vulnerabilities of the site and um, uh, look to generate what the, the overall uh, uh, risk is, not just the hazard-based approach anymore, which has been done in the past where where a lot of these um, multi-location sites might just be dropping pins on maps and, and calling it, yes, we're in a high-hazard zone or a low-hazard zone, and, and we're good. We really dig deep into the the hazard level analyses and, and and come up with like Amar mentioned the uh solutions potential solutions for the customers that can fit any any budget
0: so beyond the data but still using the data to help understand the past and going into the future.
1: Exactly and we take we take the regional specifics into account. Let me just give you an example. There may be a specific type of construction method or construction material that's used in one region and, and not another. So that's what we would take into consideration our analysis or um, the supply chain it could be different from customer to customer they could be you know have a global footprint it could be very local but we also would assess the impact of any potential event even if it's not impacting physically your own site but impacting your supplier site that's the kind of insights that we bring in
0: that's some, something that rings true for me someone who's been dealing with supply chain in the past so I'm glad you brought that uh, piece together. So here's a question that I've seen come up in the past, and it, it, and sometimes it's difficult to um, answer or bring together. But can you guys explain, and maybe Amar, I'll start with you, what do we see as the difference between what's considered to be climate change and part of our uh, CCRS team versus sustainability services? Um, is there a differentiator? How do they sort of crisscross, the Venn diagram, that middle piece. Um, and, and you know, how do we sort of help separate that out to have that right conversation with the customer, whether it's on a, a, a climate change CCRS uh, service type versus sustainability uh, type of service that we can offer?
1: So let's first define what is sustainability. Basically, the way we look at it, there are two sides of the coin, the sustainability coin, if you will. On the one side, it's everything that an organization is doing to reduce their impact on the environment. And the other side of the coin, it's everything they do to reduce the impact of the environment on their own organization. So on the one hand, you could be introducing new processes, new equipment, new services and products that require less resources and that are more friendly to the environment, reduce the emissions and so on. On the other hand, you're protecting your facilities, your operations, your people, your community from the increased frequency and severity of uh, of natural hazards that we're seeing, whether it's wildfire, flood, and so on. So what we offer the customer, where we support the customers is actually on both sides of the coin, right? Because as you're implementing new measures, there's some change management going on. Let me give you an example um, that's probably um, very, very tangible to a lot of people. When an organization says they wanna reduce their reliance on carbon based uh energy for example then what do they do they p- put solar panels on the roof right that is that is that is great there's opening up new opportunities but you have to be very careful that you don't increase the risk you need to assess the condition of the existing building what hazards are are prevalent there and design and maintain your system accordingly so that's that's the two sides of the coin that that i mentioned earlier
0: yeah i like the way that you talked about you know, when you're gonna be maybe putting solar panels on your facility, one of the things from a property assessment side that I would look at with with our customers is uh, the loading of the weight on top of a roof. And, you know, being in Canada, um, we can expect to have snow in most places. And when we're designing the construction of the building, the, the span of the joist, the weighting is designed for the roof, its materials, the potential snow loading. But 20, 30 years ago, we weren't adding on the additional weight that might come with, um, you know, solar panels putting on top of that. And sometimes, uh, i have seen it in the past, where um, uh, uh, there, there's a stripping back of the roof material, putting on a lighter insulation to then offset the loading. However, that lighter insulation becomes more combustible and now all of a sudden while you've helped on the sustainability and energy side you've actually created a physical asset of yours that is now more combustible than it was prior to that investment Uh, and so it's interesting that you uh, um, sort of draw it out that way. Uh, Matt any any other comments from your end uh, being a little bit more familiar with the Canadian market?
2: No I think uh, you both just kind of hit it there about talking about change management right solving uh, one issue and creating another and, and you really have to look at things holistically when when we're looking at that and, and we can provide the the support needed.
0: Um, so Matt with inside North America I mean coast to coast we can see a variety of different types of exposures and related to natural hazards uh, both the United States and Canada uh, you know flooding, uh, earthquake, wind storms, wildfires. Um, And just looking at the last couple of years, um, obviously we've spent a little bit more time at home watching the news than we might have in the previous years, but it seems like there might be an increased uh, frequency of natural hazard type of exposures or events, and and the severity seems to be uh, increasing. Again, just just a perception. The CCRS team uh, with Inside North America as part of historic resilience solutions. How can we understand uh, these evolving exposures and, and how can we help our customers or our broker partners implement change or implement uh, protection areas uh, to help reduce losses? And, and let's focus with inside that North American realm right now. And then, and then Mara, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wanna turn to you and see how that might expand globally.
2: Yeah, Amara mentioned this uh, a few minutes ago, and it really kind of is our mission statement, um, right? It's it's the identification, the assessment, and the mitigation of the solutions to the to the risks, right, to the risk of the site. And although, and we and we discussed this about the perils differing by region, but it's really um, once we understand that portion, then we can we can work to come up with those solutions that are viable. Right, a uh, very flexible approach, like we've indicated, that it's very much top-down view um, where we will drill down to location level specifics, and very much focusing on what the customers' desires are. Is this is this current risk, like you mentioned? Maybe you know we can talk about the floods that happened out in in Abbotsford, uh, you know, uh, about a month ago or a few months ago. Maybe it's been now and, covid then everything seems to uh time kind of seems to fly quicker. And we also have the ability, we have trusted data provider for uh future risk modeling. Like Kumar mentioned earlier, uh we can we can plan out 5 years up to 100 years in the future for for critical asset management. And so it's it's leveraging these trusted relationships and 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 solutions that we can offer up to the customers to to best support them as as well as ourselves.
0: Interesting. Um, so how would you take that, Mar, and, and sort of like expand it globally? Because a lot of our customers, yeah, while they, they might reside here in North America, have got global locations, potentially, and can they expect something different for our services in other countries that, that might not necessarily be representative in the North American market just because of the exposures?
1: I think what we're very good at is bringing in all the data sets that we have available. and, and for Those customers that are already insured by us, we do have a lot of data, looking at the claims data, underwriting and data, and so on. And even for those who are not our customers, we bring in um, different data points and connect the dots, make the risks tangible for customers. And for those that have a global footprint, we we rely on our global network of of specialists who are familiar with design codes, who are familiar with construction practices, with the performance of infrastructure. Uh, like power, like gas, and so on uh, during historical events, bringing all those pieces together and creating a story that's tangible to the customer and makes the risk uh, more real and helps towards developing a practical
0: solution. And That's interesting. Um, you, you mentioned Zurich customers and non-customers. So with Zurich Resilient Solutions, we know that we're able to provide these services beyond just our insurable customer base, and and globally, is this is this a service that is more geared towards a sort of a standalone uh, type of engineering assessment, and or we'll say and or is it something that can be brought into um, understanding the exposures that that uh, feeds back into our underwriting community as well?
1: It's both because our <laughs> solutions, we, we look at three categories of solutions, right? It's not only the risk transfer part or the insurance product, it's also physical protection measures and organizational measures, right? So the organizational measures like business continuity planning, emergency response planning, supply chain uh, planning, and so on. So it's open to all customers. The advantage of being a Zurich customer already is that, as I mentioned, we, we have we have the data, right? We have we, we have a much more solid basis to develop our, our assessments on. But that doesn't mean if you're not insured by Zurich, we, we can't help. Uh, we, we work sometimes with minimal data sets, but we could visually assess the quality of the construction, for example, and, and the organizational measures in place.
0: I know that we've got a lot of uh, uh, knowledge and talent that can be sent out into the network, knowing that, you know, we can help out anybody. Um, and it doesn't have to be a Zerk customer on the risk transfer side, that we can still help them make their locations and their overall business more resilient. Thinking about how we're looking at the data, we talked about data a little bit in earlier in the conversation. To me, the data helps in knowing what's happened in the past and projecting into the future. And you mentioned that, you know, uh, I think, Matt, you mentioned that we can actually look Couple of years or almost even up to 100 years into the future in the modeling. How much is the historical data relative to today? Uh, understanding that historically, you know, things were much different 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago. And how can we use that to understand what's going on today and helping us provide the service to our customers? Um, but how do we project that into the future knowing that it's very dynamic? And it's possible that modeling might change in 10, 15 years. Just a general question around that and and understanding how that data comes together, past and then into the future.
1: That's a very good question, Chris. Um, We give give context to customers, to, to the data that we use, right? So when we talk about the historical data, it gives us a very good indicator of past performance. And what that tells us are things like how did the infrastructure in that local community perform? How quickly were the was the power restored? Right? How did the site respond to that event? How did the people respond? Right. So that that's how we use the historical um, data. Now, the data that's forward-looking, especially when we talk about climate data, there's a lot of uncertainty around that data. Uh, we can't. We don't talk about accuracy. Right. We talk about uncertainty. We talk about confidence levels in that data. And that's why the way we use it is in developing scenarios, okay? Bringing bringing the performance of the site, bringing the performance of the buildings, of the infrastructure and adding it on to the climate data, we develop a story and we say, okay, this is what could potentially happen. This is how it's going to impact you. This is the potential financial consequences. So it's not a black box that we're working with. Uh, We bring in the data, we explain, the quality of the data, and we put it together to allow, uh, to develop the solutions and our customers to make decisions on what to do next.
0: Okay. No, that's very good. Uh, Matt, let me ask you, and we'll stick with uh, North America and, and in particular Canada here, understanding that it's a, um, at any given month, at any given place, there are a lot of different climates that we're going to be looking at. When we're looking at, at uh, you know, coast to coast, north to south, with inside Uh, Canada, um, and then down into the U.S., taking into consideration some of these changes in climate and the services that we can provide, are we seeing the same things here that we're seeing globally, or are we seeing different types of events that would accelerate the data that we use or the accuracy of the past in data modeling to uh, be able to bring that back to our customer base and inform them and be able to provide mitigating actions?
2: No, the, the regional perils are the perils, you know, we're not gonna have earthquake hazard pop up in Calgary, for instance, right? We know that this is a, a region specific peril in the West Coast or over in, in in the East in Montreal and Ottawa regions. So the regional perils are, are what they are and I'm assuming that a lot of what's going on right now is feeding into those data models that are being provided to us and like Amar just said is like we we review and we compare multiple data sets and we provide the this story to the to the customers based on their region specific or their location specific concerns
0: that brings up another question in my mind I mean un- understanding the insurance world but also um, outside of of insurance and you obviously you can find it on on the web there. Uh, I guess for a lack of better terms, there's mapping that shows zones, whether it's a uh, earthquake zone or, uh, you know, uh, uh, coloring for flooding on certain rivers or storm surge on coasts and and large lakes and everything like that. With the services that are being provided, are we diving deeper into the information and providing more transparency and accuracy to our customer base that goes beyond some of the traditional maps or or zones that are displayed on maps that can help them better understand their exposures and become more resilient
1: so the maps that you refer to they give you the magnitude of an event and the probability or the likelihood of that event occurring in different places so only one component of the analysis that we that we do How we help our customers is explain how to use these maps. So what is the data behind it? How accurate they are, if if you will, and bring in different bits of information to help them make a more confident decision, increase their confidence in in making a decision. We are developing our own maps, especially when we talk about flood. Uh, The climate change maps, the the forward-looking maps are also in development. But I have to stress here, that is one component of our analysis, right? I think where we, that's very important to develop the solutions, which is why we're doing the whole analysis at the end of the day is, is, is to see how we deal with these risks, where we bring value and where they become, um, where our analyses become quite unique is that we dive into the customer operations, right? We, we try to understand what is the value chain and what are the pain points. In every step of the operations, Um, of of our customers. And overlaying that data with the hazard data that you mentioned helps us towards developing a more clear picture of what's going to happen and what needs to be done.
0: Okay, great. No, I mean, I think that's a really succinct way of explaining it. You know, as you you were talking through that, one of the things came to my mind, and and Matt, I know you had visited a, a customer of ours in the past and had been able to identify where at that location level, they had, you know, understood the exposure of uh, we'll, we'll say for the sake of this conversation, a flood, and had put in mitigating actions to help protect some assets. But those actions um, potentially increased their exposure from an earthquake standpoint to actually cause the same type of damage. When you're out Visiting customers and locations—is um, this something that's taken into consideration? Where you know we're looking at all of the mapping, all of the exposures, and working to try to make sure that we're not taking one solution and creating a problem for another area with a different type of exposure.
2: Yes, and that's the whole helping out with the the management of change process, right? And so we're not going to point a solution that creates a problem elsewhere and in an example that you were mentioning uh, a piece of very heavy equipment was taken off of the ground and relocated to the roof so it solved the flood issue but in an earthquake event you've just added a very heavy dead load to the roof which is going to create different challenges under the uh, a seismic event and so the provider that was working with that client had a very narrow scope their scope was fixing the flood problem and so we can review these and provide assistance in the design review stage conceptual phase greenfield work all of these design solutions we can work with the client to help them understand uh what the engineers and the contractors are providing them and give them alternative solutions
0: so not just a single pronged approach it's hey we're out there we can take a look at all of the exposures whether it be earthquake or flood or wind and knowing our engineers across the, the network a lot of them would be also be in a position to be able to say i can also do your traditional property style or or casualty style liability style uh, uh, risk assessment of your facility and Martin, let me know if this is a good question for you what sort of perspective or lessons have you learned as someone who fled a conflict and a disaster about resilience and planning for emergencies. Looking at your bio, is that something you wanted to get into, or is there a question? Is there a question in there that you can see related related to what we're doing here today?
1: Okay, I think to answer that, and relating it to to our work and something that Matt alluded to, one of the issues that we commonly face is people's perception of risk. To convince them that. Look, you've never seen it during the whole time you've been here, the past 5, 10, 20 years. But let's say it happened. Let's say it does happen. What would you do to prepare? It's getting to that level of the conversation that takes a long time. And, And it's to do with people's perception of risk. If you've gone through some transformative experience in your life, it stays with you. And you say, "Okay, I don't want this to happen again. I need to be prepared for myself, for my family, for my colleagues. If you've never experienced it you'd say it never happened your perception of the risk is low you say i'm not going to invest i'm not going to waste time and money preparing for something which i know will not happen but life teaches us it may happen it may happen so be prepared don't discount everything think of the consequences not of the likelihood that it may happen or may not happen what would happen if if it happened what are the consequences and is it worth investing time and money to avoid what could potentially happen.
0: So finding that perfect balance between investing, uh, whether it's time or dollars, into protection, balancing out with risk at the same same time.
1: Balancing out with risk. Yes, that that's what I would call the, the perception of risk. Okay. What is your threshold? When do you say, this is my pain point? And I am going to invest time and money to mitigate that risk, to deal with that risk. That's what's different from one person to another and depends a lot on on people's personal history.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, even if we're translating that from a personal history over to a business, on, on the business resilience side, we're always talking about trying to match up. What type of investment do I make to minimize my risk as much as possible? but also balance it out with, um, you know, how lean do I want to get my organization, which, you know, kind of is about savings as opposed to investment. So when those two areas sort of collide together at that right point, we're actually saying, okay, I'm as lean as I want to get. And I've invested as much as I think is necessary to be in a comfortable state and be protected. And I can, accept any further risk because I've mitigated it, but I'm also managing my uh, uh, financial investment or physical or emotional investment into it that I feel like I'm at a comfortable level. Unfortunately, that piece always seems to be moving. So you have to reassess day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year.
1: And that's why we use scenarios. I mentioned this before. A story is a very, very powerful tool. It makes it tangible. It makes the risk tangible to the person we're talking to. Not only that, it helps the person communicate the risk to their stakeholders. Right? Because at the end, we're talking to one stakeholder in an organization. That person has to communicate the risk to someone else and that person to someone else. Yeah. And doing yeah. it through story, not through a black box. I mean, we do have our tools. But at the end, the story, I think, makes it very tangible and, and is very powerful.
0: Interesting. Um, so just kind of wrapping up here, guys, I mean, this has been a great conversation, but what would be the one message that you would want to leave to our listeners about the climate change resilience services or sustainability initiatives that we're working on that you would want them to keep in their mind um, uh, uh, sort of going forward and, oh, Amar, I'll I'll go to you first, and then, Matt, if you can uh, sort of bring it home uh, from your perspective as well, focusing more on a North uh, American-based conversation.
1: So we're out there helping our customers, protecting themselves and protecting their people from these events that we're seeing. But my message would be that we need to look at ourselves as individuals, as consumers, as citizens, how we could make a difference. The difference starts with us as people. Um, We we need to make a change, and every change, every bit, no matter how small,
2: will have an impact uh, if we all work on this problem together. And Matt? Yeah, I'd like to add, you know, preparedness and awareness is building out on those. And it's very easy to talk about um, a potential solution for an area that's been affected by an event, but if that location or that region hasn't been impacted yet, that's a much different story. So it's it's being aware that these events can happen and being prepared for when they do.
0: So we could actually be looking at locations and events outside of the traditional that are coming up into the future. Okay, that's a really interesting way of saying it. Listen, guys, thank you very much for your time today. This has been a really, really great conversation. And it sounds like our CCRS team is uh, really well positioned to support a global network. Um, helping out our broker partners uh, around the world, as well as our ZRS customer base. And I think this is really an innovative service that we can bring to the market um, uh, through our lens on the insurance side and the uh, engineering side of insurance that could really be of a benefit. Um, So I really do appreciate your time today. Again, thank you very much and uh, have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you, Chris. And thanks once again for inviting me.
0: Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Please join us each and every episode for new and informative topics with experts in the industry providing insights to risk exposures and actions to mitigate losses. If you would like additional information, please feel free to reach us at ca.podcast We'll be talking to you soon.